Welcome back to another episode of Angry Girl Music of the Indie Rock Persuasion. I'm your host, Amanda Starling, here to chat with you all things intersectional feminism and, of course, tunes. We've finally reached the end of 2016, and though there were many points of struggle in this year, I'm hanging on to two great positives. The incredible number of albums released this year, and, of course, this podcast taking off. To round out the year, I'm happy to share with you all a spectacular interview with Carly Commando of Slingshot Dakota. Carly will tell you all about her formative years as a young musician, finding her voice in Slingshot Dakota, and her widening concern with a national culture reflected in our music scene. Carly is absolutely one of the most important voices I've had the pleasure of encountering in music, and though I could go on and on about her brilliant views and creativity, you might just enjoy hearing her tell you about it herself.
are chatting with the lovely Carly from Slingshot Dakota. How are you today, Carly? I'm amazing. How are you? Oh, I'm thrilled to finally be talking to you. It's Yay! so amazing to watch you grow as a musician. I remember seeing you at my first fest, and you were playing up there at Tom, and I was just mesmerized. So thank you so much. It's been so cool to kind of watch your journey in music as well. Thank you. So, um, Which fest was that? What fest did, did you – was it at the um, that bike shop? Was that the first one? It was either Fest 12, I want to say. It was Fest 11 or Fest 12 was my first one. And okay. I'd, I think you might have been it, – it's Cowboys now, yeah, but it might have been that venue. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think awesome. I remember, like, kind of crawling toward the front and just really just soaking in. And you being one of my first Fest fans was just one of the most incredible things. So. Oh, that's so cool. It's an honor <laughs> to be that fan for you. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for that. Of course. Uh, Yes, but speaking kind of of your music career and stuff, can you kind of tell me about the early days? What got you into writing music and being a part of playing music? Sure. Um, so I, I would say that I've been playing music my entire life, whether I was classically trained as a pianist. Um, I was always playing music. I had taught myself how to play guitar in middle school. And I loved all things music, but I didn't consider it to be, you know, a path for me. I didn't think I was going to really do anything with music. I never in any kind of semblance thought that I would be in a band. Um, and in uh, high school, I started playing music with a bunch of friends. Like we had a garage rock band. I think we played one show. It was my guy friends. And I think I borrowed a guitar and played with them. And that was a really cool growing experience, but it was just kind of like a, it was a very short lived thing, even though we had recorded a, like a little demo and stuff. It was really fun, but I didn't see it going anywhere. And then um, I played music with my best friend, Donna, because we had uh, joined this after school group through this thing called YDA. And it was basically all these kids from school got together and kind of uh, formed this community with each other through music and art to kind of deal with all of all the things we were going through. And if we weren't going through stuff, we were kind of there with our friends to kind of help them process things that they were going through. And I think originally it started off as like a tutoring group, but then it, people realized that we were getting way more out of it by just being together than actually getting like schoolwork done. Um, so me and my friend Donna started playing music together. Uh, she was dealing with her uh, mother's battle with breast cancer. And wow. so she taught herself guitar. So through that, it was more meaningful for me to play music with her and kind of as a friend, that was the only thing I knew how to do was to support her musically and be there for her emotionally in a way that was the only way I knew how to be there for her at that time. Um, because I don't think we really knew how to talk about what was going on. So through music, it was much easier. So we played music together and um, we went on our first tour when we were in college. We went on a tour with our friends in a band called Wolves. We were like the screamo band. We just like were this acoustic duo on this tour. And that is basically what made me realize that I loved music and I had to do it all the time. Um, and up until that point, I had been a part of my own Long Island DIY punk scene. So I had been surrounded by musicians. I'd be, um, I had been surrounded by my friends doing everything on their own accord, you know, whether it was booking tour, um, having touring bands come to Long Island and setting up those shows and being a part of those shows. Um, at that point, I was basically just a, a, uh, in attendance. I wasn't really performing too much at those venues. Um, but, you know, just to see how the whole DIY punk scene worked was eye-opening to me and I loved being a part of it um and then eventually me and my friend Donna played one of those shows and it was like 
we were part of the scene, but like in the most DIY punk version of it, people were really unsure of us because we didn't fit musically. Yet there were other assets, there were other um, other parts of the Long Island scene that accepted us without question, that just loved what we were doing. And it wasn't a big deal that we were outside the box of what traditional bands were. Um, so yeah, I would say like the the most important part to my growth musically was being a part of the DIY punk scene um, because that influenced me in terms of how you could empower yourself as a person and as a musician. Um, even though I wasn't necessarily um, identifying with the music itself, I was identifying with all those other values that were swirling around and that made it special. And then playing music with my friend Donna helped me realize the importance of being in a band with someone that you loved and that you really wanted to grow with emotionally and that you shared all these really strong feelings and vulnerable experiences with. So it's kind of like these two things snowballed together that really helped me realize that this was something that was and is still important to me. Um, and then in college, Slingshot Dakota formed, my friends formed this band and they wanted me to kind of play bass in the band, but I play keyboard. So they said, well, you can play your bass parts on piano and it'll be fine. So it was like cool. totally this really cool thing. I wouldn't have thought to do that. And I'm to this day, super thrilled that they even had, you know, they called me and asked me to do that and that they had me in mind for that because that was just another eye-opening experience for me to be a part of a band that was like an indie band. It wasn't punk. It was like at that, at that time, this version was very like almost alt country. Like it, it wasn't punk, had no roots in that at all, but it just was really fun. And my friends, we were just down to write songs and play shows and Again, no mindset of being like, oh, we're going to make it. We're going to do this forever. But it was just a really great growing and bonding experience. Um, and then you go all the way to now. It's Slingshot Dakota still exists. And uh, the other guys went off to do other bands. And Tom joined as a replacement to the drummer and then stayed in. The guitarist <laughs> left to do other things. So it's me and Tom now. And it's basically all of the things that shaped me as a teenager. It's all of those elements that are with me today. So it's that band that is still incredibly meaningful to me. Um, that's also fueled by the fire to do things on my own accord and to um, value myself, value the music, value my friendship and my relationship with Tom and just have this be like this really awesome, powerful art form that I can back a hundred percent knowing that I've got all the right people involved and that we're doing all the moves, you know, doing all the moves that we're doing because we want to do them, not because someone's telling us that we have to do. Wow. So yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a kind of like a story. Very, yeah. It's a, a very brief, quick summary of kind of how <laughs> things came to be, but I'm pretty stoked on it. <laughs> yeah. There's so many things that you kind of have fused into that story. I mean, there's some personal elements there in the sense of like, you know, you got some really deep emotional connections from your friendship with Donna and also being able to, you know, shape yourself in the Long Island scene. That's a very unique scene in the entire yeah, country, much less, possibly even the world. So I'm sure there was a lot that you kind of took from that and grew as well. So that's just so amazing. And you said that you were classically trained as a pianist as well. Yes. What parts of that musician, that side of your musician self, do you bring into writing music now at Slingshot Dakota? It's funny because I don't know. It must be stuck in my brain somewhere um, because when I took piano lessons, I hated them. I still to this day um, am terrible at reading music, but I have perfect pitch. So mm -hmm. when I was a kid taking lessons, my teacher would show me what song I was going to learn. She would play it first and then say, do you like it? And I'd say, yeah, the song rules. Let's learn it. But she didn't realize that every time she played me the song, I would memorize it. 
so that when I was learning it, I basically was just rehashing what she had played for me. Mm-hmm. So um, I had a really hard time getting into reading the music. And as lessons got more difficult, as the music got more challenging, it, my, my whole thing kind of became exposed that I wasn't really reading anything. <laughs> and then I clearly didn't want to learn to read. I wanted to kind of go off into my own dreamland and write my own stuff. So I eventually stopped taking lessons, but I think I got a lot of self-confidence from piano lessons. I think that having to perform in front of your friends and family as a kid, uh, it, it's, takes you out of your comfort zone right away in childhood. And that's something that even when I'm still nervous to this day, I think about how I was a kid getting in front of people and hamming it up. And I'm sure I was playing the most mediocre song ever, but to me it was amazing. (laughs) So I think values like that stuck with me. Um, And then I think just the, uh, the idea of practicing, even though I wasn't necessarily reading the music um, when I was a kid, I was definitely practicing music and taking time with the piano and whether it meant going over a song or just taking the time for myself to just experiment and write my own stuff. So it's definitely instilled in me to just sit down with my instrument and dedicate that time to art and that you're not really going to get anything good if you're not putting the time into it. Um, You can dream all you want, but that dream's not going to go anywhere if you're not good at it. So Um, I think what I have taken from that stuff is just really working hard and having that self-confidence to put those, you know, that art form out there. And I'm sure there's music theory that is in my brain from college and from, you know, from childhood, but I have, I'm not aware of it at all. (laughs) No idea. Hey, that (laughs) creativity is amazing. (laughs) No, the creativity is a good thing though, because I feel like that helped you by the sound of it anyway really develop your own style that kind of just, I feel like it surpasses so many things that I normally hear when it comes to piano in general, much less the way that you kind of in some way synthesized your keys. It's cool to kind of watch a transition from, cause I started listening to you around dark hearts yeah. and onward now into break. And it's really cool to kind of hear you go from not necessarily a softer sound, but it's definitely developed into something yeah. that's definitely more like dancey and kind of smashing and stuff. I mean, I really feel not only the melodies that you put into your keys, but also the way that Tom smashes on the drums. It's like, um, it's just so unique. And I think about hearing the earlier stuff like a set. And now I listen to like paycheck and Doreen and I'm like, Whoa, yeah, everything is so really well blended and it still sounds like you, but I can hear these elements of where you've really just continued to develop. It's gotta be that. Yeah. And it's, and that's the thing that's really cool is that, yeah, that, that is part of it and taking time to get better at what you're doing. And, um, with all of the records that Slingshot has done, and if you go to the first one, that's me and, um, Pat and Jeff, the old members, it's such a good record. But like I said, it's a very college rock indie record. It's like, uh, it's really good, but it's totally not what we are now. And it's, um, you know, I, my background, my singing is mostly background and, mm-hmm. uh, my piano playing this, very little, dis- I don't even think there's any distortion on it. It's just very straight up keyboard. Um, and then with Golden Ghost, when me and Tom had formed a, two- a two-piece version of Slingshot, we just wanted to get the record out. So with that record, I hadn't really figured out what my sound was going to be. I just knew that me and Tom wanted to do this band no matter what. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a huge sense of urgency on that record because me and Tom just wrote it to get it out. And so there's a really cool sound and really great music on it, but it's kind of like us figuring ourselves out. And what really speaks to people is like just the authenticity, uh, authenticity of the music on that record. Because when I hear it now, I'm like, Ooh, 
the sounds kind of bad. Like I could have done this better and I would have made the sound fuller and, you know, you go back and you, you critique it. And then with dark hearts, um, you know, we advanced a little bit more. So we took more steps, included real piano and different instrumentation and really focused on developing the songwriting. And, um, again, it was less of my tones, but it was more of like, okay, how can we develop as a band and make our songwriting more strong? And then with break, it was like, all right, how can we include incorporate better songwriting and making the music sound really full and have it um, represent what we sound like in a live setting on recording. So it was like, we kind of took all of the things that we wanted to um, be strong and just have them all come to a, come to a head on this record. And I think now that we've kind of figured it out, writing new stuff has been a lot easier because we're like, okay, we know the things that um, work really well. We know, how we can make things sound full and strong. And there's really cool elements of our other records that we love, mm -hmm. but it's a little bit too twinkly and it's missing stuff if we just, you know, write songs a certain way or whatever. So there's definitely a lot of thought process, a lot of practice, um, and just a lot of attention to detail and, you know, just thinking about how we can make it better and then how we can also make it so that when we play these songs live, people aren't going to be missing anything. So it's like trying to think about all of these crazy things <laughs> and incorporating that into our both our record and our live performance so it's cool to hear that other you know people like you are are noticing the progression and noticing the development because we obviously feel that that's true and we hope that everyone else picks up on that oh absolutely I mean it's just it's like I've said earlier you know it's kind of cool to follow the journey that is Slingshot Dakota and <laughs> you know I can feel how it's gotten so much you know, like you said, stronger. And for me, in some ways, a little bit louder, too. So it's, oh, yeah. cool. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's beautiful, though. I mean, the live performance is just incredible. I think, you know, I, you, the chemistry that you have on stage with Tom is something that I multiply, like, you're the band that I use as I compare everybody to you, because I'm just kind of like, yeah, you want to, like, they're kind of like Slingshot Dakota with that stage chemistry. Yeah, I feel it in every way. I mean, I'm sure that's from years of you playing together at this point. Absolutely. And of course, factors outside of that, but it's just, <laughs> it's just amazing. How have you been able to kind of foster that sort of connection on stage? And, you know, I'm sure hearing your voice on stage too, I can hear you so clearly. Oh, that's so cool. Compared oh, to, you know, your earlier music where you kind of had the wider band. It's like, it's kind of been cool to see your voice come out even louder as well and see you shine in that aspect as well. Thank you. Um, I think it's just uh, really comes down to the fact that Tom and I love playing music. Like we love being in this band together, but we love playing. Um, and especially when we're on tour, when we're playing live performances, that is all we care about. Like, and when we go to see a show, we see, you know, bands and we're just so excited. Like we're spending money and we're driving down to Philly or wherever we're going to see a show. Like we want to see a good show. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when we're on tour, we're spending 23 hours of the day driving, eating terrible food, feeling tired, missing our family. Um, there's so much adrenaline level changes in a day where you wake up and you're excited and then you start driving and you get tired and then you realize you're almost at the show and you get to the venue and you get excited and then you get nervous and then you get to play. So like, your body is reacting to all these crazy things on tour. So when we're on stage and my equipment works and Tom's drums are all set up the way he needs them to be, it's all we could do is just have fun and give it our all because this is, it's all we care about, you know, like this is our love for life is playing music. And then 
you know, obviously me and Tom love each other. We talk about that all the time on stage and off stage. Um, but I mean, when people talk about our chemistry, it's, you know, obviously that's a factor that we're married and that we love each other. But I would say even more importantly is the fact that we love playing music with each other and we're in love with the songs that we've written. And, um, you know, to hear you say that my voice is clear and louder with that is, is also really great to know because I've become more confident over time. And I've also worked to be able to find my voice because, you know, starting off as a band, I was just like, Oh, I have to sing these songs and write lyrics. And I just, um, I didn't think too much about the delivery. I just thought about singing them and that people would hear them and that would be it. And, you know, as you look back, you watch your own YouTube videos or listen to records and stuff. And then I get inspired by my own, you know, friends who are doing amazing things, who have really great, unique voices. And, you know, I'm like, oh, how do I emphasize what I have? How do I make my voice more, you know, stand out in what it is without obviously changing it and like doing some kind of yodel, you know, something that's not authentically me. <laughs> so I'm just really focused on um, trying to be a better singer and um, and just really feel the things I'm I'm singing. And sometimes it includes me talking about what the song is about and trying to connect with people on that way. And sometimes it's uh, almost too personal to talk about things. So I just hope that me singing the song from my heart is, um, will do the job for me. So I, I think to answer your question, I've tried to just sing with everything. I've tried to sing, um, with a more articulate delivery of what I'm, what I'm feeling and also what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Cause I think that since me and Tom have now figured out our dynamic and our sound, it's been easier for me to, um, find my voice better and how it can, be better shared with everybody. So, yeah. I definitely feel that though. Cause I, you know, one of the songs that I think caught me off guard with how intense it was on break was too much.
because yeah. I really like I, I felt it in your voice every word it every bit of I believe it was the acoustic guitar everything I just felt it intensely and deeply and yeah. I feel like you're really good at conveying both the song itself and the emotion behind it whether you do tell us the story or not but sometimes yeah. you do like I remember yeah. uh, uh, a couple of times I've seen you you'll just kind of be on stage and be like this song is about sexual consent with your partner. <laughs> and it's one of my favorite things. Um, I had one of my friends turn to me and just smile from ear to ear because <laughs> she was just like, that's beautiful. No, I feel like more people should be saying these kinds of things. Or yeah. when you call out shows or like, yeah, I only shared the stage with only one other woman tonight. What's up with that? Right. I Absolutely. really love that you not only are doing it in your music, but also calling out kind of a crowd and a scene when it comes to issues that are out there and stuff. What is yeah. that for you? Well, I, I think this goes with everything is that I firmly believe in be the change that you want to see. Mm -hmm. And like, even from a stage presence, when I'm thinking, you know, telling you when you're talking about me and Tom's dynamic on stage, when we go to see shows, we know that not all bands are crazy performers. Everyone has their own thing, but there are some people that you look at them and they look like they would, they would rather be anywhere else than playing music. And to me, I'm like, what, why are why are you doing this? I'll, I'll take your spot happily. <laughs> so for me, when I'm on stage and I, I, you know, I luckily have the power with a microphone to say these things. I try to make them count. It doesn't always work. I've backfired plenty of times. I've, I've said the wrong things and you know, I, I'm not perfect, but I try to use that, um, that privilege for the greater good. And if that means talking about consent, um, we recently played like a town festival uh, called music fest and Tom gave that speech and it was really cool to hear it coming from a male, you know, cause I'm the one that's always like, ah, oh, you know, consent, if you're going to hook up, just like make sure you're communicating a million percent. And Tom like went on this really long rant about it and was like, me and my wife have been married for three years and we still get consent from each other. And like, I thought it was the most badass thing because <laughs> it wasn't a punk festival. It was like a normal mainstream town music event with our parents there where our parents were like, why did you do that? There was children there. And I was like, whatever. The kids need to have this conversation. Like at this point where everyone's on the internet, like it's a really important thing. Yeah. Their parents can talk to them in, you know, their own terminology to like help best convey this to them or whatever. Um, but I thought it was, I thought it was so badass that Tom even took it upon himself to do this speech that normally I do. Um, I think it's just really important to be a voice and to call attention to certain things. Um, in the past, we used to talk about uh, sexual assault instead of wording, um, you know, our our song description by saying, oh, this is about consent and communicating. We kind of went the other way and we changed this because we, we found it to be triggering. We found it to kind of like not be in alignment with what our, our band's vibe was, but we would talk about um, sexual assault within the scene. And, you know, we would say, Hey, this is a serious thing. I know because we're this really special bubble where everyone feels really safe and we're doing things against the grain and we're, we're all unique and we're doing our, our own cool thing. Sometimes things like sexual assault get swept under the rug because no one believes that it could happen in a place like this. And it's really important that, you know, we open up our ears, our eyes and talk to our friends and are available to people um, but when we were giving these speeches, it was like, it was catching people off guard. Um, even though it was a positive thing, it was like almost changing the energy of a room. And I started realizing that it might be triggering for some people to kind of change that vibe. So we try to have these discussions and we try to have really important things to say if we have them. 
and convey them in a way that um, is positive, but that also urges people to think about it and to take those things home and talk to their friends. Um, and obviously, you know, talking about consent is important and it's like, I'm happy that people support that, but it's also like, take that out of the show and be like, that's so cool that they talked about it. And, you know, you know, just that people could continue that train of thought, you know, outside of shows and stuff. So it's definitely something that we've worked to improve on so that we could have a, a more powerful way of saying these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just really believe in, in talking about things. And I feel like, you know, there's other amazing people in the scene uh, that are doing that or that are doing, doing it through other vehicles, whether it's on Twitter or Instagram, other social media forms. And uh, for me, I'm just, you know, right now I'm fed up with how, um, you know, every tour announce is like a dude fest. Yeah. And, no uh, on that. <laughs> it's, it's insane. And it's like, uh, you know, I, I feel like the only thing I can do is call it out. And there's times where I get worried about that because I don't want to be the, the musician, the band that's going to be known for constantly. Oh, so there goes Slingshot Dakota again, posting on Facebook. But at this point I'm like, well, no one else is doing it. So it's going to drive me crazy if we're not saying what I'm feeling. And until I see more and more people doing it, like, you know, it's kind of like a protest where it's like people are like, ah, all those protesters again. But protesters get shit done, you know? They do. They're Literally, getting, Standing Rock just got things yeah. done. <laughs> and it's like, on the surface, yes, they're getting it done. Are there going to be more difficulties ahead? Yes. Do we have Always. to keep protesting and raising awareness? Yes. Um, but I kind of feel like that mentality where sometimes I'm like, I don't want to be the person that's constantly being a Debbie Downer, but I also have to say stuff. And if I post it on the slingshot page, I can reach way more people than if I post it from my personal page or whatever. If I'm on stage saying this, I have the ability to reach way more people than if I'm telling Tom this in the supermarket, (laughs) like it's not going to make a difference. So, uh, I do try to pay attention, um, to what I'm saying, where I'm saying it, when I'm saying it, but I just think it's a really important conversation to have and I don't have the answers and I don't have the solutions and I am absolutely not perfect. Um, you know, my only thing is that I'm a female musician, but I also realize that I'm a white female musician. So I also want to be an ally to other people to the, in this music scene that feel like they're undervalued and misrepresented or not represented at all. And I just want to at least kind of, you know, inspire people to have this conversation. Well, it definitely works because um, I try to make it a goal when I go to shows. If it's a band I've seen a couple times, grab a friend, show them the music or, you know, and every time I walk away with somebody, they always feel empowered by what they've heard you say on stage or what they've heard Tom say and that kind of stuff. It, it, what you're doing is working is what I'm saying. And, Thanks. <laughs> you know, if anything, I kind of, I'll be scrolling through all this negativity on my Facebook, but then I'll see this message on Slingshot's page about, you know, being able to be empowered or trying to help people who are marginalized in music. And it's incredible. And it's one of those voices. It's like, I'll share it when I can, or I'll, yeah. you know, it'll be the thing that kind of brings that smile to my face, knowing that it's like, oh, these are people who are actually trying to make things a little better. So yeah. it's, it's just Thank great you. to kind of have that positivity shared and you know, it's kind of hard whenever there's things that happen in the scene all the time, people saying negative things or harming mar- marginalized people. Um, I believe it was out of Philly, just something I was reading today about some promoter who is of the hardcore scene that was kind of, you know, not really being of any help whatsoever in spite of that DIY fire that happened. You oh. know, there's all kinds of like negative things that kind of happen within our scene or you hear about somebody who's done something terrible. So it's kind of, 
it's good to see somebody who's bringing a voice to things that are terrible, whether it's in our scene or in our world. I found a lot of solace after the election results. You know, there were some people who were silent, but there were some people who were also bringing support and positive energy in the wake of so much negativity. I mean, I was feeling fear, but to my music and turning to the people and music that I respect actually made that easier to carry. So absolutely. And it's, you know, I mean, I feel like there's so many concerns and um, there's so many ways to make this world better, not just our music world, our world overall. Everyone needs to work together on that. But sometimes, um, you know, you need to see one, one person or you need to hear one idea until you question the things that need improvement. And there's also a way to bring attention to the things that need improvement without just saying, this sucks, mm-hmm. you know. And like just being negative, you have to um, engage in dialogue with people and say, okay, this is a problem. Maybe this, you know, I could tell you where it's coming from, but it's more important that we create a better future and that we start coming up with, you know, ideas and solutions on how to make things better, better, whether it's, you know, with the post-election stuff on being allies to all of our friends, you know, I think I had posted, I'm like, if anyone feels unsafe walking around, whatever, I've got pepper spray. Like if anyone wants to go to a show and they feel scared, you know, let me and Tom know, we'll give you a ride. We'll, you know, walk with you, whatever. And I think there's things like that that are realistically um, positive and affirming to folks that kind of feel uh, unsafe right now, what, you know, and all kinds of things. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to balance the negative stuff with the positive stuff and find this like reality in there that you can live in and not feel stressed out and anxious all the time. And I'm constantly trying to find that balance myself. It's hard. It's so hard. <laughs> I'm like on like all these private Facebook groups that are like inspiring, but that they're also like a bummer when you read them and you're like reading all these people going through crap. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I just want to hug everyone. And that doesn't solve anything being like, I love you. Like I'm sending you an internet hug right now. Like I just, there's so much stuff going on and it's like, I can't quit social media because there's also so much positivity happening on it. And I feel like all of us, you know, banding together where you feel like, you know, like you said, maybe you've been quiet, but then you read something that someone writes and you're like, yeah, like that's exactly what I'm feeling. So even if I'm not writing that sentiment, there's someone else that's saying it. So I know I don't feel alone right now. And, um, just trying to find a way, you know, through things like that to be positive and, uh, create solutions and like actually work towards a better future instead of just like being angry and being negative because there's gems in that negativity. You know, there's little, little things from the negativity that you need to pull from like, okay, what, what sucks? Like what's in, in this thing that I'm mad about, what can we fix? Like there's gotta be like some little points in there that we could pull out and then work on, you know, with one person, with two people, with a whole group of people. And, so you have to try to find the silver linings and all the crap, which we've been doing, I've been doing my whole life, but especially with this band, I feel like that's been our mantra for over 10 years. It's just like valuing yourself and your community to come up with solutions instead of relying on people who don't care about you. And I think recently there's a lot of bands, a lot of musicians relying on the people that don't care about them to get stuff done. And I kind of feel like that's why specifically now I've been kind of making my voice a little bit louder about that sort of stuff. Um, I feel like it's very much mimicking stuff within our country right now where, um, you know, people are like, wow, I didn't realize, I didn't realize there's so many assholes in government or so many, you know, racists and, you know, misogynists around. And it's like, 
they've been there, you know, they've just been living in a very PC culture and that it wasn't cool to express these ideals. They've always been here. They've been here in the music scene as long as I've, I've been a part of it. Um, and I, I think sometimes, uh, people don't realize that it's, these things are present at home. They're present in our own artistic communities. And, uh, you know, my recent thing has been to urge, it has been to, um, ask people to focus on this stuff and be like, if you're just noticing now how racist the country is, look at the tours getting announced, look at all of your shows happening locally, look at festivals. Um, how many women are a part of that? You know, how, like how many minorities are a part of this? Like how many cis white male are a part of this? Um, what can we do better to improve diversity? And, you know, if it's shocking to you how, how racist the country is, well then look at the institutionalized racism within our own artistic scene that claims to be this like bubble for diversity. It's not, you know, and that's something that we can improve on. And no one's really called attention to that. No one has been like, Hey, this actually exists right here. None of us realize it. You know, it's not an intentional hate. You know, no one's being like, ah, oh, fuck women, you know, or yeah. anything like that. It's just happening that these bands aren't getting support. And the thing that wasn't as present when I grew up in punk was the presence of uh, labels, agents, managers, music lawyers. Um, you know, I grew up in DIY punk. Well, that stuff, well, you got laughed at. Like, I was part of a Long Island DIY documentary, and the huge controversy was this one band was signing to a label. And it was everyone being like, how dare they sign to a label, you know? And back then, the label's not even that big. It, like, just helped them get on a tour. Like, it didn't – they weren't getting paid a ton of money. It was just, like, someone helping them out. And um, – it was unheard of that people got help from other people. You tried to do everything you could on your own to now where it's like a lot of bands that I know and love, you know, that are part of this, they're my friends, you know, sometimes we'll start a band and then within a year have all of these people working for them. And I, I do question like, what is it the band's interest at heart that these people have, or is it people want to make money now because there's no money in record sales and, you can make a lot more money booking a tour for a band than, you know, they're going to make selling that record. It's There's so many factors now that weren't as big of uh, the picture 10 years ago because the internet was new and people weren't streaming music as much. And now there's like a whole new model for music. And I think a big problem of this is the local scenes are dying across the U.S. Like no one knows who their local bands are. If no one knows who their local bands are, no one can support said local bands if there's diversity in these local bands, no one knows because again, no one knows who these bands are. And then there are these tour packages that, you know, there's tour packages that are diverse for sure. They have existed in the past and they exist now. Um, but I would say the majority of the ones that I'm seeing, at least on my Facebook feed are not diverse at all. Um, these packages are being put on tour and they're not including any local support. They're not including any women. They're not including any, brand new band that people are stoked on that they should think that they should tour the world. And it's just like all these factors are contributing to just like this endless cycle of, yeah. you know, it's predominantly male musicians in this scene. And no, it's a pain. Like, I feel like there's just this capitalist cycle going about it now because Locally, we have yes. a problem that a lot of our promoters, um, they do the whole pay-to-play system to our local bands. It's it's a hell because a lot of these local bands are just as good as the ones that are touring, mm -hmm. but they kind of start to fall apart after a while because they can't get booked. 
yes. these larger tours. And it's just like, okay, these people are incredibly talented, but they're not being fostered. So they kind of get stuck in the same smoky bar for like 10 years. And absolutely, they don't get the chance to kind of expand beyond that. I mean, fortunately, some are starting to pick up, but it's like, okay, but we kind of need a culture that and luckily in Florida, we have a lot of really good bands that are kind of getting popular and helping foster both the mentality of, you know, DIY while also kind of helping each other grow. I think of bands like Dikembe and Love Mexico mm-hmm. do a really good job of boosting that kind of DIY, but still growing kind of mentality. So it's Absolutely. Really special to see that, to see that there's some people who are kind of fighting the machine, if you will. And it, you're right in many ways talking about how you can kind of see the national issues bleeding into the local music scene in many ways, the the lack of diversity can definitely be spotted in so many different scenes. You can kind of, if you dig through it, you can start to find the kind of sparks of diversity or the kind of people that stand out, but it's like, but what are we doing to really foster them? Exactly. And it's to be nurtured and no one, and like you said, you nailed it right in the head that um, there's bands that are basically buying into the system. When you have a manager and you have a booking agent and you have, you know, not even labels aren't even necessarily a part of this um, so much, at least with my experience, Top Shelf put out our records. Um, they've made like no executive decisions in any way for booking our tours or any, any, they have no decision making with our shows at all. Um, and, you know, there's that cycle of people buying into people to do their job for them. And when you're paying someone, they're going to have connections and you're, they're going to network for you and they're going to get you those tours and they're going to get you those articles in the magazines and they're going to get you on Pitchfork. They're going to get you all those things, which are then obviously going to get you a ton of Facebook likes and social media followers. And then it's going to make you look good and everyone's going to take you on tour. But that's doing nothing for the bands that, like you said, are just as good, if not better than these other bands that are paying into this who are just getting left behind. I mean, Tom and I have been part of that. I mean, and this dialogue for me isn't um, me trying to say, oh, woe is me. I don't, I, our band is fine. Like we have been doing things on our own, own accord for forever. So it's not like we're upset about anything on our end. But from us being a part of this, we're seeing this happen where a lot of bands just literally cannot catch a break because they, the right person won't just represent them. They're not getting bigger bands who have the power to be like, hey, everyone, check out check out like 10 bands from my local town who are awesome and telling promoters to work with those bands and book them. That's not the system anymore. It's people just doing pay to play or it's, oh, your Facebook has 6,000 likes. Okay, you can play the show or whatever. It has nothing to do with actual talent. It's like this whole like, you know, game of like, who's big and who's, who's deserving, but it's not who's deserving. It's who's basically buying into this. And, um, it's crazy. And we worked with an agent who did pay for play and we didn't know that we went on a tour and we were playing with, uh, there was one, one show specifically that we remember that was a pay to play and it was easily all middle school bands. Okay. Who were amazing. Like it was totally school of rock caliber kids. Right. (laughs) And one of them had written us around the day, like saying, Hey, I'm playing with you. Are you going to watch me? And I'm like, yeah, of course. Like, that's what it's about. Like, I'm excited. And I'm like, who is this band that like, they wouldn't think that we'd watch them. Like they must not be like punk or something. And we're at the show and these kids are young and they're killing it. And their parents rock. Their parents are like supporting them a million percent. And me and Tom are just like, this sucks because they had to pay to play the show. 
we're getting paid because we have a guarantee because we have a booking agent. And there's no sense of community being fostered within the show. These bands paid to play the show because they think that we're huge. Meanwhile, we're not huge. Like, it's like, it's an upset for everyone, you know, where it's like me and Tom feel like terrible that we're like terrible role models for these kids for thinking that this is the way things are. Then they think that they're playing this huge show that me and Tom are drawing all these people. And the whole system is that you pay to play so that the promoter doesn't have to promote the show. They're going to be like, oh, they need $200. All right. Well, these kids are going to want to play the show. They're going to sell tickets. And then Slingshot's going to get paid no matter who they bring. Those kids are going to be happy because they're going to play a show. And it was like so messed up on so many levels. And those kids ruled more than me and Tom did. Their parent, I feel like their parents stuck around and like some of them stuck around and like we had fun meeting those people, but it was just like a bummer of an experience. I'm like $200 was not worth it for me to have a show that didn't foster any kind of community that told these kids the wrong way to book a show and that how the music industry works, even though it is how it works with certain people. That's not how I agree with it. Um, and that's what's happening now. Like you said, with the touring, like people are, there's con, you know, contractual things that say no local support. We just want these bands and that's it. So when bands are coming through, they have no idea what cool bands exist in all these cities. And like you said, the cities themselves don't know what bands exist. And like, you know that there's these awesome bands in Florida, but you're seeing them like stuck because no one's repping them and they can't get these shows. So they're playing, they're doing as best as they can with what their means are. Um, but they can't, break and that's been me and Tom's story for forever where we have done stuff on our own and we have seen what happens when you have publicity and when you have an agent those things do help like we have a really really great publicist right now who works with us who's amazing and when break came out we saw the things that she did we saw the things that got us these things that we had only dreamed about but we're like that's because that is someone who is getting paid to do this for us, who is amazing and we love her and she listens to all the things that we want, but this is also part of a business. And I think that bands have to be honest with that and that if you are in a position where you have a publicist that you love or you have a label that you love, um, that you have an agent that is booking you these great tours, then you have even more a responsibility to speak up for people. You have more responsibility to take bands on tour that no one's ever heard of. You have more responsibility to pay attention to all these local scenes and to urge all the people in your own hometown where you're a big star. Get all these other bands off the ground and take them with you. You have so much more responsibility than any of the smaller bands are starting out because no one has any idea. And um, this system's not going to work forever. It's going to break, you know, like, Selling records broke eventually, and now the new game is money and booking agents, and they want to book headliner tours with no support because they can sell more tickets and get more money, and if they had an opener band that was only getting a $100 guarantee, less going to make everyone less money. It's just a crazy cycle, and it's going to pop, and, um, you know, I just think it's really important that people start paying attention to it and that people start realizing why this is happening. Um, why these tours are the way they are and start realizing, Oh, Holy crap. There's this tour happening of all these bands. I love, but they're all really great bands. They all could have done four different tours and brought on two other musicians with them that are lesser known or brought on one musician that's lesser known and then played with all local support, or they could have brought no one and done all local support. Like there's so many better options than just doing the same 10 bands going on tour with each other all year long. 
because that's honestly what I'm seeing. It's like the same yeah. 10 to 20 bands, different variation of tour and they're on it. And then sometimes I see a, a variation with diversity on it and I'm like, yes, I love you. Thank you. <laughs> I like, God bless. Like, um, <laughs> I just, it's just rare. You know, it's like, I, I think one of my favorite tours that I saw was, um, Pity Six, Pedal and Power Bottom. And I'm like, thank I you. I saw that tour. It was That's an amazing a great, one. Great tour. Thank you. I need to see more like that. <laughs> yes. And it's like, clearly these bands exist. And another thing, oh, this is what I was thinking of, is that um, there are diverse bands. And there are bands with women in them. But a lot of excuses that I'm getting, I had, so when I had posted my initial post about um, paying attention to like your own scenes and, you know, the institutionalized racism and misogyny within it, I had one friend write me and said, well, do you think the problem is that these bands don't exist? Which I thought I laughed. Oh, no. I like, but it wasn't coming from a bad place. It was like a legitimate, like, do you, maybe these, like, just totally, like, innocent thing. Yeah. And I said, <laughs> I said, uh, these bands exist. I know they exist. I can name you 10 of my own, in my own town. You know, they exist. You just don't know, you know, you might be one of them, you know, you might be one of those bands. Yeah. Um, so it was really, it was eye opening to have someone not realize, like, that's how much we don't know about our own local scenes that my friend had been like, do you think it's just, they don't exist? And I'm like, I, I know for a fact in your scene, I can name you a bunch of bands that exist mm -hmm. diversity on them. Um, and then the other thing is that I had uh, two friends that I engaged with dialogue who were both part of tours that only had like, you know, men on them. And I was talking to them about it and they were like, well, we tried to ask all these other bands and they said no. And the bands that they were asking were much bigger bands that would have never wanted to be on that tour or that wouldn't have musically fit, even though I think mixed genre tours are the bomb. Yeah. Those, those bands specifically definitely wouldn't have wanted to be a part of it. And I'm like, you can't just ask, 10 of the most hyped bands right now that have females or, you know, some other kind of any other band that's not just a white dude band. You can't just list those 10 bands and say you tried and then that's it. Because A, those bands might not want to be a part of that tour that you're on. B, they're really big and they wouldn't make sense on that tour. It would just be like, it wouldn't make sense for them to be supporting a band. Um, and then also, like, it doesn't just end there. You know, like, oh, I asked 10 bands, and they said no. Well, ask 10 smaller bands. Like, of course those bands are going to say no. They're keep asking until, you, keep yeah. asking until you get one. Keep asking. And it's like, I, you know, I understand that people worry about tokenizing um, and that, like, I get that, where it's like, I want to make sure that people are asking my band to play things because we're fucking awesome, not because I'm in it, you know? And there's time, I'm honestly never going to know. I'm really never going to know the reason for people picking my band to be on things. Um, but for me, I would rather know that I, I can have the opportunity to exist on a show or a tour or a festival and speak my mind the entire time than not exist on it at all. So when I have friends saying, well, I worry about someone thinking that I'm asking them to be on a show because they're a girl and they're going to, and I'm like, well, are you asking them to be on it because they're a girl? Like, or yeah. is your band actually really awesome? And also either way, like, Yes, don't tokenize people, but you need to support these bands. And, like, all of these bands exist and are only going to improve and get better and better and better if they're playing more and more shows to more and more people. So just keep, you know, I tell my friends, keep that stuff in mind. Um, you know, find bands that you really love. And, you know, don't feel like that you need to obviously, like, 
fit this mold and that you're trying to like put these pieces of the puzzle together. But at the same time, like my opinion, after being in a band that's I'm sure been the tokenized band on, on shows at this point, I say, just get as much diversity as you can on a show. And obviously support these bands that exist. They're going to get better and better and better. And it's better for people in an audience to identify with people on stage and to feel that they too can do that because then you're going to see more and more diversity at shows and on tour and everywhere else. And I don't know. I mean, I know that that's a hard line to tell. I know that that's a hard thing to say. Um, But the fact of the matter is that diverse bands do exist and they're all fucking awesome. Like I, there's terrible dudes on tour now that suck. That shouldn't be on tour. So (laughs) whatever, like just get new people on your shows, you know, support your scene, support your local scene, grow a community, value yourself, value your music, work with promoters who care about a show that don't care about just the money they're going to make on it. Um, don't work with a promoter that's just doing pay for play. That's like, Oh, this band needs a guarantee. Sweet. I don't have to even work on this show because there's going to be people paying to play this. Like that is not the way the system should work. It should be people curating really good shows with really good people and having diverse bands and like, again, diverse genres. Like I am, I have always been down with that. I know that not all people are down with that. And some bands obviously like don't want to play with other, if they don't identify with like certain genres or whatever, they don't want to be a part of it. I personally love that. To me, it's more exciting to have a mixed genre show than anything else, but that's me. No, it matters. Like that kind of stuff helps really, I think really expose people to different sounds. Like I went to that show to see Pedal, the tour that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with Power Bottom. Oh, my and God. I was obsessed with Power Bottom. They're the best. You know, stuff like that. I, um, They're the best. I, yeah. About this time last year, Allison Weiss came through here, and she brought Kid in the Attic and Winter. I fell in love yeah. with both of them. It was like, so you awesome. know, Allison Weiss does, like, you know, obviously that, like, kind of, like, pop style. Yeah. Indie. Well, I got exposed to dream pop with winter and I got exposed to kind of like just all kinds of things all in that show. And it's like, okay, but you're, you're giving me something different for once. Yeah. And it's like, I, I, I like it whenever I'm familiar with a headliner and then I get this whole new slew of bands I'm now obsessed with. So totally. And that's like me and Tom were saying that it's so much more fun for us when, um, if we take a band on tour or we book a show for a band, which our, our city is pretty small. So whenever we're booking a show for a touring band, we can't do it all the time because we would burn out our, our town. Um, but we try, when we try to do it, we try to make it the best show ever because a, we want to show our friends coming through a great time. Um, and we want to show them our bands that we have, you know, like all of our, our local talent, but also like, there's no better feeling than when you, you love a band and then you watch other people fall in love with that band. Mm -hmm. There's no better feeling than that. And like, I think about these bands that have the power to bring other bands on tour that I'm like, you could be responsible for like getting your audience to fall in love with like yet another amazing musician. And instead they're, they know who you're bringing. They're already familiar with them and they're going to have a great time and all y'all are going to have fun. You're going to hang out with your friends and have a fun boy tour. But like you could have such a much better time being like, I love this band and now I get to watch other people fall in love with them. That's so much more exciting to me than people getting stuck in this, capitalist monopolizing music industry that I'm seeing happen within my own bubble that like the whole reason I got into this was because I felt like I could be myself and that I was unique and all these practices 
are exactly what happens with major labels and major corporations. It's happening now within our own stuff. There's honestly very little difference within these business strategies than it is outside of this. And, um, it just needs to be called out. It needs to be addressed. And I want to support everyone that feels underrepresented and not represented. I feel like there's so many amazing bands everywhere that me and Tom meet because we book our own tours, you know, and there's times where like, we're playing a city. We don't know who to play with. We'll ask the promoter. Can you give us your bands? Like tell us who's playing and we're going to go listen to them and like figure them out. Or we'll post like who lives in this area that wants to play a show with us. I think that is so much more exciting than going into a tour, only meeting people at a merch table, which honestly many people aren't doing because the bands hang out in the green room anyway now. So it's like, there's so much work to be done. Um, there's so much more that can happen in fostering a music community and like a friendship community with people if everyone was just way more hands-on and proactive themselves. And if they valued themselves a lot more and just really got in the nitty gritty with everyone and met more people and supported everyone. It totally and, works. It totally yeah. Works. And it's like tour is way more fun to me because I get to meet way more people. And like, I get to see all these bands, you know, I get to see the coolest bands all the time that I never would have seen otherwise. And like, I, we see some of the craziest bands, like some of the coolest bands ever. There's some bands I'm like, I don't know what that was, but I loved it. Or like, <laughs> I don't know what that was, but I'm glad I got to see it for myself and see if I like that. Like, I think it's so much fun. And it's like, I meet so many more people because of this, because I'm seeing their band and I'm having, sharing this emotional bond with them for the half an hour they're playing on stage, you know, instead of me watching the same band over and over and over again. Um, and like, you know, we did our last tour with Kississippi and Zoe, I'm like, do you want to come on tour? She said, yes. They had never been on a tour like that. You know, it was like their first kind of big tour. And it was just really cool to be on a tour with them and watching, you know, people that were coming there for us that didn't know about them, watching Kississippi, watching their own local bands play. You know, it's just so special. It's so much more heartwarming and like more inclusive. And it's just much better to be a part of a growing community and being supporting your friends that you, that you support, you know, I'm like, Oh, I support Kississippi, but now I get to watch other people support them and they're going to come back next time. And all these people are going to come back and watch them. And that's going to be awesome. Instead of me being like, my band is too good. I can't bring a, I can't bring another band on tour. That's going to be better than me. Like, I feel like that's part of a thing that like no one wants to take a, a chance or everyone's safe and comfortable and they're making their money and they don't care. And I don't want to be a part of that. Well, the cool thing is, is that I'm kind of seeing the benefits of the, the fact that some of the bands that you've played with are starting to kind of pick up their pace and grow also. Um, bands like Living Decent and All Right have mentioned you as being Aww. one of the bands that kind of like help them kind of feel really good. I mean, uh, one of my dear friends in All Right, Sarah, she mentioned. We love Sarah. Yeah, she loved playing with you and she loved being able to play that show and she's She's such a sweet person. It's kind of cool because now she can take that and feel motivated in creating music and playing more shows and writing more. It's just, I think it's so cool because you kind of not only foster that friendship, but you also have the ability to feed off each other creatively. Absolutely. Get exposed to those different sounds. And like you said, it's like maybe you loved this or maybe you at least tried this either way you're being able to kind of bring new elements of what they shared with you possibly to your music. Yes. Yeah. And it's just like, there's so much friendship that grows from it. And, you know, there's also a lot of folks that don't understand how the music industry is going right now. There's a lot of people that don't realize that 
there's a lot of money involved, which is like why their favorite bands are being featured on certain things or getting certain tours or, you know, getting, getting from point A to point B. A lot of people don't realize what goes into that. And, um, it's not that me and Tom take bands on tour and play shows and we're like, Hey y'all. So this is, here's the inside <laughs> scoop. But when you tour with someone, you see how everything works. You develop friendships and you talk about things. You talk about your friends' bands and you talk about tours, tours that are getting announced and these things naturally, you know, come, come to be in, a part of a discussion. And, you know, I say with, with pedal and with Kississippi, um, or with all right, or with, um, our friends who are, uh, who used to be in living decent now in expert timing, uh, like having discussions like this where, you know, you're just having discussions about music because we're all part of it. And there's things that people never realize were a reason of why things are happening. And I think, you know, much like me posting on Facebook, kind of calling stuff out when you're having a natural conversation with people, these things are, are becoming exposed of why things are the way they are. And I think it's really important to have these conversations. And when you're touring with bands and they're seeing how much work goes into it and what someone's getting paid to do versus what you can do yourself at home by just asking people for a show in certain cities, you know, you, you kind of start realizing like, Oh, I have the power to do this myself. I don't have to use this other person. And there are really great agents and really great people out there that do care about their bands and do care about fostering a cool community of, of musicians and artists and people, Those people are out there. So I don't want to totally crap on everything, but a, a good, there's a good chunk that aren't like that right now. Um, and I think it's important to have discussions and when we're taking bands on tour or meeting bands or whatever, those discussions are happening. And I think people are starting to understand that it's so much more important to value yourself before trying to figure out like, how do I get my band on, you know, pitchfork or whatever. I think a lot of bands don't, don't realize that there's so much work to be done on your own before you get to that next step. You know, like I said, we're coming up in, in Long Island DIY. I learned how to do everything on my own. It was never, you formed a band and then you paid a music lawyer to get you, you know, on South by Southwest that year or, or whatever it was to get you like huge. That wasn't a thing you got laughed at. It's in the documentary that I'm a part of. Like, you know, and I look back on it and we're young and we make mistakes and there's definitely advantages to labels and agents and like certain things. If you're working with the people that you trust and that you love. Um, but right now, you know, with the new generation, the new cycle of musicians, a lot of people are just seeing what they see on Facebook. They don't understand that work ethic. And they're thinking, oh, I form a band and then I, I shop it around. And then all of a sudden I get the agent and the label and the, you know, manager and all that stuff, the producer, like you don't need a producer. You just record your record and write a good record. Like we've never had any producer like at all. We had our friend that recorded our last record, like basically like act as a producer and help us. But we weren't like, we're hiring you as a producer to help us write better. Like we believed in our musicianship and, you know, we had a really great friend help us out doing our record. but. There's just all these things that people think that they need because they're seeing it on social media and they're seeing the bands that they look up to using this stuff. And if there's one thing that I can do, there's one thing that my band can do is just to tell people you don't need that stuff. That stuff is cool. And there's great people making great music, but you can be a great person and write great music without any of that stuff. And I just want to get the conversation going and I'm not trying to, you know, talk badly about my friends who are part of the system. I talk about this stuff all the time and I know I have friends that I'm sure get offended, but I think that they should, I think they should call themselves out and they should, um, 
talk to me and that we should have conversations and that if they are working with really great people, um, I would like to know who those great people are so that I could be stoked for them and recommend them to my friends' bands that want agents and people like that. Um, it's just that I, I've worked with my fair share of people that I, I don't like, and I've seen them book tours for other people in the same fashion I don't agree with. And I don't know. I think it's just, we can create a much better community by empowering ourselves. It starts with that. And then everything else that's going to come along. If you're getting the help from the label or other people, it's going to be um, sincere and it's going to be because those people see how hard you're working and how much you believe in yourself. And um, if they're going to have some kind of investment in what you're doing, make sure that you know that, make sure that you know what you're getting yourself into. And that if someone's going to have their hands in your pocket, that they're doing, you know, they're taking a cut because they're working their ass off for you because they love you. Not because they're trying to, you know, make a hundred grand on a tour they're booking for you or whatever, whatever, whatever the case may be. That is why, that's my, <laughs> that's my main hope. No, it's my talking. <laughs> no, that's so important. And I'm so glad that, you know, you're saying this because I, I'm hopeful that many young and starting out musicians will be able to hear your words and feel inspired and motivated and ready to just kick some ass out there as far as creating music and sharing it goes. What are maybe a couple of bands that you wish everybody was listening to right now that others aren't? Oh my gosh. Well, there's a ton of bands. Well, Mannequin Pussy just came out with an amazing record. So it's I'm going to put that everyone. I mean, the thing that stinks that all these bands that I love are now like getting huge, which is awesome. So now I'm like, crap, I gotta, now I gotta start digging deep. <laughs> um, I'm going to say we, so I've been friends uh, with my friend Yvonne forever and she's been posting about being in a band and like has posted little tiny snippets. And we finally had her band play a show with us a couple weeks ago and they're called Seer, S E E R. Okay. And they're like straight up um, sludgy stoner metal, like very much like sleep. And they, roll so hard. I don't know if they have anything recorded yet or if they have just like a demo on Bandcamp, but they're amazing. So I love them. If you like metal, you should listen to them. They absolutely rule. Um, expert timing. I'm going to plug. They're from Florida. Uh, members of Living Decent. Jeff and Katrina. Tom just recorded drums on their record for them uh, oh, awesome. a week ago and I heard it and it sounds amazing. So everyone should listen to them. They're absolutely awesome. They're like, um, I, I, they're the, what I heard, there's some like vocal lines that are reminiscent of the anniversary, but without being, you know, they're their own thing. They're their own band. They're absolutely amazing. So I'm going to awesome. say expert timing. I'm going to say seer. Um, there's a band called Weekend Friends from Portland, Maine, who we played with a bunch. They're amazing. Sonia has the coolest voice. Um, I don't, I don't know how she does it, but she has a really cool voice and, uh, her whole band rules. Uh, who else? Oh my gosh. There's everyone. I, I I'm nervous about saying like bands and I'm like, everyone already knows who all these bands are. Obviously I'm in love with pedal. Kylie's one of my best friends in the world. I love her so much. She could do no wrong. Um, <laughs> Power Bottom, Kississippi, I, I absolutely fell in love with, especially uh, touring with them and hearing those songs every day. Like, just absolutely blew my mind. Um, let's see. We, I mean, from the Bethlehem point of view, we've got a ton of really great bands. There's a band called Wawa. There's a band called Sing Bird of Prey. Um, there's a band called Explorers. 
There's another band called, I might be wrong. I think they're called Under the Clothesline, but I might be wrong. They're like a psych indie rock band. Oh, fun. Um, what else? Obviously Seer. Uh, there's a band called Summer Scouts. That's like kind of like pop punk alternative pressy type like music, but they're yeah. awesome. They're really great people. Cool. So it's like, I know like within my scene who I can trust, who I can rely on, who I can support, who, you know, and I'm sure there's more bands growing and there's also more bands that exist now that I can't even think of. Um, and then, you know, I was having a conversation with another friend today and he said, what band should I support? And I said, you have to ask your own friends because you live in the Midwest. I live on the East coast and you should be supporting bands in your own area so that you can play with them and bring them around. I can give you some bands that I, I can, you know, I can recommend bands to you. Um, but a lot of these bands that I'm going to represent, that's like that I can tell you about that would be touring are already bands that are already pretty hyped up that they're, they're getting the support that they need already. They're like, people are finding out about them. So now I'm trying to go deeper, you know, getting to more bands that, you know, haven't gotten those tours yet. So my pick would be Seer, Expert Timing, Weekend Friends, Easy. There's another band called Lilith from Boston who are amazing. Oh my gosh. I don't know. I could keep going. <laughs> I really, I have to just like compile a huge list. I just listened to Animal Flag. Finally, they're also really good and they're from Boston. Yeah. Well, it's amazing how quickly you can start to think of it. It's like, we almost have to have people sit down and like, okay, now think about it. Who do you know of around here and who can they maybe recommend to you from there? Cause I know yeah. for my local music taste, I started off with maybe the same three bands. Now I could probably name like 10 to 15 that are up and coming that are really talented across all different genres. So totally kind of cool. You have to almost encourage your friends. It's like, okay, think about who it is. that's made an impression on you and maybe mm-hmm. you find ones that are similar to you. Absolutely. And like, I mean, you've got Dikembe who I love those. Those are our, some of our best friends because they're amazing. They've been, they've been with us, especially from touring together. Same thing. We're both like, we, we can tour together and we meet all these cool people. And, uh, we did this all on our own. We've all booked our own tours or we've been able to, pay our bills from them. And so it's like, you know, when I think of people taking these big tours that are getting these payouts, I'm like, how is it that us and Dikembe can go on tour and make a living when we book these tours ourselves? And some of the shows aren't huge, you know, um, they're both, they're all like lower mid-level shows. We're coming home paying our bills. There's no reason that people can't do this, you know, and still be able to like support yourself. Um, you don't need that booking agent to do that for you. Me and Randy book our own tour all the time. And it's nice because we have each other's backs when we're getting really frustrated with how things are. I know that I can turn to Randy and Steven um, and David and Dikembe and we can talk about it productively instead of us just feeling like we're coming across as negative Nancy's where we're like, okay, we need to discuss this, you know, and be, and like kind of be on the same page and vent because if we vent somewhere else, we're just going to come across as bitter jerks and, we're not, we're just frustrated with the system. So they've been amazing. They've been like, their friendship has meant the world to me and definitely Tom. Um, and then, uh, hang it. Who's that other band? Henrietta from Florida. They're mm-hmm. also amazing. They're great. They really they're are. Cool. They're so good. I saw them at, uh, that pre show and they yes. just blew my mind. They're so good. We're lucky. They play a lot of shows throughout the year in Orlando. I mean, it's pretty great. Lucky you. I can drive at like, you know, just two hours to be able to catch them. And it's just, it's really good. And it's amazing because it's like in, in Florida, everything's close enough together to where you can kind of get to the shows that you want to and see the ones that are up and coming. I mean, even the ones that have blown up, I remember seeing in warehouses. I think of the likes of like, you blew it. They're huge now, but yeah. 
You know, yeah. I remember seeing them in a crappy warehouse or in that tiny bar and you can kind of see that kind of growing. But I think it's just great that, you know, you can think of all these local bands, tiny local bands or up and coming local bands from all ends of the coast. And, mm -hmm. you know, those are the kind of bands that you'll be able to tap later on and be like, hey, we're coming through your area. Let's play a show. Or, you know, maybe if you can't play a show, recommend me your friends that are in another band. Totally. You know I mean? So that's so special that you're kind of taking DIY even further on the road like that. We're trying. And it's like, you know, again, we've been a part of all of these things. We've been a part with the music agent, with the booking agent. We've been part of the tours that had no local support on it. We've done these things. So I think if anything, having those experienced are what have led us to have this mindset today where we're like, well, we, it's nice to have security in that big tour where you know what time you're going to play and you know when you're going to get paid and you're going to be out by a certain time. But then there's so, you miss so much. You miss so much by having that sort of experience. Um, and, you know, although it is, it, there's, on one hand, you're like, okay, it's consistent. On the other hand, there's fun in the inconsistency. There's fun in not knowing, you know, exactly what the bands are that you're going to be playing with and like getting to see that for yourself and getting to meet those people and hoping that you're going to meet a new friend in that city. And sometimes you meet cool people. Sometimes you're like, Oh, that was weird. Or, <laughs> you know, all right, well, we tried, you know, at least knowing that I tried is way more meaningful than being like, I'm going to play with the same four bands every night for a month and it's going to be fun. And it would be fun, but it's also, you're not really, you know, getting any kind of growth out of it, I think. So, um, yeah, I think having those experiences for me and Tom have helped us get to where we are today in that we can appreciate the experiences that we have. We can experience, we can appreciate the exposure that our band has gotten through certain, you know, vehicles, but also that the things that mean the most to us are those good, like those good relationships. Like those relationships mean more to us than the money that doing things on our own terms means more to us than the money. Um, and you know, if, if honestly, if I could make a better living for myself and be more comfortable, I'd be absolutely stoked. But if that meant compromising all of my beliefs and being, and being able to pick who I got to tour with or who I got to support when I played music, then it wouldn't be worth it to me. You know, it just wouldn't be worth it to me. And so I, I think that it's just really important to, you know, emphasize what I've been emphasizing this whole time and just urging all the people that you admire who are great people, who are really great musicians. Um, and I say this because I know, you know, like I said before, I, I, come I come across really harsh on people, my own friends for this. And I understand that we all want the best for ourselves. But I think that when you want the best for yourself, you also want the best for everyone around you. Or else what's the point of living if you're just caring about yourself this whole way? And that if you have, if you have the power to make a difference, just bring cool people with you. Create a better community. Um, listen to the things people like me are saying. And if you don't agree with it, that's okay. And if it resonates with you in a way that like hurts, that's maybe because you're part of something that you're ashamed to be a part of and that's okay. And now be more conscious of, you know, about it in the future. And I don't know, I think we can just build such a stronger music community and make it more what it was when I first joined it than what it is now. I think there's gotta be a much bigger return to people nurturing this thing than letting it just become this seemingly corporate bubble that like never was a part of it, but it never was a part of what I was a part of so much as it is now. Well, I'm hopeful that that nurturing energy and creative just 
endless creative wave that I feel like you're bringing into the scene just continues to grow more and more momentum. It's just exciting to follow. And it gives me hope as far as getting past the whole corporate mindset of music and being able to see more voices out there. So thank you so much for that. Um, so with that, I'm really excited to find out what Slingshot Dakota up to next. Well, it's the winter time, which means we go into hiding. Uh, <laughs> we have one show in Brooklyn uh, next Friday, December 16th. Okay. Um, we're playing with our friends in the band called Taking Meds. Uh, they're amazing. We did one of our first tours with them. Not one of our first. We did a, one of their first tours with them like a couple years ago. They're amazing. Um, so we have that show. And then we're pretty much going to stay put and relax and start writing more music and jam out until March. And um, we'll be announcing what that tour is in March. Yes. Uh, sure. <laughs> so we're doing, we have South by Southwest. And then we're doing a little tour to and from that. And we are booking ourselves with a really cool band. And uh, then I'm sure we'll be touring more, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll do some kind of summer thing with Dikembe again, because that's kind of become a family tradition now at this point. I love it. It's the best one. <laughs> it's my ba- I, I love those guys so much. And, you know, it's just, you know, it's one of those things where it's like I understand bands want to tour with their friends and have a really great time. And I understand, you know, like on a bigger level when I'm saying, like, I get it. Like, you want to tour with your friends, take your friends. I get it, but also include more people. And the thing that's cool touring with Dikembe is that we include all of our friends on it. You know, oh, like yeah. we, every town we hit up all of our favorite bands and like include them on this thing. And it's just so much fun. So I'm sure we'll do that. Uh, and then for other shows, I'm not sure, but I can tell you that we're starting to write the new record, even Yay. though Brick still came out this year, <laughs> uh, just so we can, you know, get things moving. And um, yeah, and then we'll be on the road again in the springtime and then I'm sure the summer. So. You will be seeing a lot of us, even though we won't be uh, performing too much in the wintertime. I'm sure I'll have a lot to say. So look forward to some posts. And, uh, yeah, we'll just be taking care of ourselves and relaxing until the snow goes away. That's perfect. If anything, we'll be looking forward to all of that. Um, So (laughs) at this point, (laughs) where can everybody find all things Slingshot Dakota on the web everywhere? Well, on the web, I would say currently our Facebook is the best way to find us. Um, I think it's just the backslash backslash Slingshot Dakota. And then um, our Twitter and our Instagram, Slingshot Dakota. I think we have a merch store right now still. It's slingshotdakota.merchbin.net if you want to order any cool clothing or winter hats. Um, other than that, our band camp has music on it. But we're not set. We don't even have our own website. So <laughs> basically, social media is where you'll find us. And, uh, and on the road in the spring. All right, everybody. Make sure that you keep an eye out for all these really great tours and all the awesome things that Carly's putting out there on social media. It'll make <laughs> your day. So, all right. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and and for letting me say so much. (laughs) No problem. I think that if anything, I'm super grateful. I always walk away feeling empowered seeing and listening to your music. So it's just a little bit louder for everybody to hear now. Thank you.
just heard Carly Commando of Slingshot Dakota, who I may add is one of my favorite musicians who really struck me in 2016. Carly and I agree in many ways that it's so difficult to pin any best bands or albums to arrive in 2016 because really art is just so subjective. I myself may give you a top 10 best of 2016 list today that may be completely different if you ask me again tomorrow. Personally, I think it's not fair to limit who it is that struck you the most, but instead it's far better to think of who perhaps punched your heart numb, made you feel something, forced you to reflect, or made you a better version of yourself. So before you go traipsing into 2017, keep in mind to keep your palette expansive. Listen to some bands that may not even look like you or sound like you. Some incredible people released unforgettable punching albums like Taco Cat, Gloss, Dog Party, Thin Lips, Muncie Girls, Milk Teeth, Tender Defender, The Julie Ruin, Lisa Prank, Slingshot Dakota, Mitski, and dozens upon dozens more. It would take me hours to just describe the beauty, intricacy, talent, and sounds that really define these musicians and their roles within the scene, shaping it into something more inclusive and beautiful. My point here is simple. Educating yourself is a choice. Being a part of a wider scene is a choice. Being involved in emo, indie, punk, what have you, has already shown that you have a conscious ability to seek outside of what the top 40 offers you by default. Dig around, explore genres and subgenres on Bandcamp, see who has a similar vibe to a band you already like. Make your New Year's resolution to be a more vocal and educated feminist. With that side note, I'm left to end our final episode of 2016. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to these stunning musicians, their stories, and hell, even hear my voice. I'm so grateful for your support, and I've got tons of great ideas coming into the new year. As always, you can find me on Facebook at Angry Girl Music of the Indie Rock Persuasion, and on Instagram or on Twitter at Angry Girl Music. Subscribe, review, or even pitch me ideas for guests. Or just tell me you really love Carly. I'll definitely agree with you on that. Until next time, this is Amanda wishing you a happy, woke year. Let it down.